Welcome to Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books. We're your hosts, Sam and Anna, and let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam and Anna, and very we're moving, exciting times. Woo! Bittersweet. We've been at our current apartment about three years, and we're moving from Warwick, Rhode Island, all the way up to a sonnet mass. Now everybody knows where to find us. <laughs> East Coast. Um, here's our address. Here's my credit card numbers. And our blood type. Peel box number. No, but um, you know, it's exciting. Bittersweet because we'll have to be moving the studio, but it'll be exciting with the new digs. Yeah, this is the last episode we have in our like OG studio record well when we were started the podcast we were recording in our living room and then we turned this room into like a home office and studio which we then upgraded with better audio equipment so this is just like another step on the journey to pristine audio studio 2.0 featuring sam and anna in the sonnet mass live <laughs> let's just get those like foam pads to like put around the whole room yeah but we gotta have like one of those light things that says on air <gasps> yeah oh my make god it that'd cool. be so cool yeah you know the deal you know because we're the only two people in our apartment so the cats can see an illuminate light that says on air oh and not bother us no they'll know just to start meowing even more <laughs> i mean i don't know if people heard it last time but uh zelda was in the quote-unquote studio with us and her tail kept hitting sam's microphone the whole time <laughs> yeah she always needs to be part of the action it's her mo she was sitting right behind me a minute ago. She's gone now. She's in the bookshelf. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So we are moving in the next week. This is our final episode in this apartment. I'm so like nostalgic about it. But yeah, this is where the podcast was born. This is where we both read the King Killer Chronicles for the first time. Is this apartment? Pour one out for the memories. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, actually, I'm actually really excited about moving. Mm. So we're just going to replicate the studio in our new place. We should just have all our episodes out on time. There won't be any, like, interrupting interruptions to things. But, interruptions. Um, <laughs> there won't be any interruptions. <laughs> um, that was a dad joke for sure. It was. A little sad. You know what? In the essence of bittersweet, it really goes into theme with, like, the next set of chapters that's happening for Kavoth. Ugh, Kavoth is having a hard yeah. fucking time he our boy's struggling and he's gonna be making some grave mistakes and some stupid decisions these set of chapters and it's gonna bite him in the butt but you know what we've all been there life gets hard and once you tread water and you get above it it leads you to a better place yes this inspiring <laughs> moment has been brought to you by <laughs> i didn't know how to follow that up <laughs> i know it's all good do you have any other bits, pieces, info, news? I would just have this thing that I came across when I was reading mm -hmm. about Blue Flame. So this oh. was a t totally different book I was reading. It's called Practical Magic. It is not a book about magic. I was fooled and duped, but I read it anyway. Liars. It was a fine book. It's like yeah. a classic coming-of-age book. But in part of it, they said, if a woman is in trouble, she should wear blue to protect herself. But if a candle in her house turns blue means a spirit has settled in her house. And I just never encountered blue flame anywhere else. No, just a gas stove. <laughs> <laughs> the pilot light. Mystic. I like it. Makes you think. It was like just like a superstition thing they tucked yeah. in, but having not really thought too much about blue flame outside of the King Killer Chronicles, I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, it is a nice little... I wonder, though, just now thinking about the Shandrian and like their signs... 
is the blue flame you know how we were talking at one point during the fan theory episode how like every shandrin sign is a mark of like their curse yeah and how like you know, one Chandrian might have been, like, a carpenter or, like, a metal yeah, worker yeah, 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 and everything. Yeah. Ross, yada, yada. What would cause flame to turn blue for someone? Isn't blue flame associated with Ancanus? Ooh, it might be. In which case, it all comes back to my, like, theory that he's in charge, like, pulling all the strings behind everything. The master. The puppet master, if you mm-hmm. will, as we are about to encounter puppet for the first time in these... Well, we don't meet him, but Where he's hear mentioned. of him for the first time in these chapters. But I'm pretty sure Blue Flame shows up in the myth of Tailwind and Canis with, like, mm-hmm. the iron wheel. So I think that's where it all stems from, theoretically. But... Yeah, we're going to cover chapters 25 through 29 on this episode. Uh, so we left Kvothe off. He was experiencing malfeasance for the first time. So yes. he was just entering this bad phase, and we're really just going to keep rolling right through this bad time in his life for this whole episode. He has many, many trials and tribulations. The suffering of Kvothe. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to re-mention to people that, like, you can definitely reach out to us. Like, I really want to hear people's opinions about that fan theory episode. So reach out to us on our social media um, or on our website. So you can find the website has a contact information at fantasticbookspod.com. Or you can message us on Facebook at Fantastic Books Podcast or on Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod as well. So if anyone has any, like, thoughts or opinions about those theories, definitely, like, shoot a message our way. Because I'm really interested to see what people thought about them. Yeah. But that's all I have to say. I'm ready to get down into the nitty gritty of Kavoth's tough time. Yes. No, seriously, boy is suffering. Yeah. So, chapter 25, wrongful apprehension. So we have Kavoth kind of hanging out Will and Sim right now. And they are convinced that Devi is the one that's responsible for the malfeasance due to the fact that his last conversation with Devi was intense because she really wanted to get into the archives and he knows that passageway through the under thing and she was like willing to pay him like 50 talents for the information and get down with him in bed in order to get it and he kind of yeah. declined i'm kind of surprised though that they have written ambrose off so quickly like i know they said oh it wouldn't be ambrose personally mm. himself but someone he hired to do it but they as soon as both said something about devi or in the audiobook i listened to today davy Oh, I just kept thinking of Davy Crockett. <laughs> or what is it? I forget what show. It's like Orville or something. It's like, hey there, Davy. Like it just what? It's like a claymation thing. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Sorry. It's fine. So as Kavoth is talking, Will and Sim, he's actually heading over to the fishery to talk to Kilvin about potentially acquiring a schema or schema for. A gram, which is basically kind of like the Gillers that sympathists were. Uh yeah. Well, people who like graduate. Oh, from Arcanist. The universe. Arcanist. Yeah, Arcanists would get, and so it'll help him. I ward thought a off. Giller was a person. There are Gillers, but remember when uh, he Kavoth is with Ben and he gives him. Yeah. His Giller. What? How does that differ then? Do we know? Well, they call it's like. The object itself is a giller, and it also is used as, like, a title and term for somebody who has graduated because you received your giller. Oh, but 
remember Ben's was cold to the touch? Like right. it's doing something. Yeah. Did so he turn his giller into a gram? In one of the set of chapters coming up, they compare them being very similar. Oh, okay. So I think it, in addition to whatever the giller does, it has the same properties as a gram will protect you against malfeasance and mm. apparently also aid against slippage when doing sympathy. I wonder if Kilvin makes every graduate their own so that way he doesn't have to give out the runes for blood and bone. Oh, good point. That could be kind I of thought it was going to be more like you have to make your own, like earn it. Oh, I'm wondering if it's more like it's given out once you become an arcanist. Mm. And then that way it's still some kind of controlled knowledge. I don't know. I'm not sure. I forgot they had compared the two. I like don't, for some reason, like have just very little memory of the next like 200 pages of the book. So much happens. Yeah, there's a lot that happens at the university before he transitions to things abroad, so. Yeah, I remember all of his abroad stuff, but this whole section of the book before Kvothe leaves the university is, I've got hazy memories of. Mm. So, I will be equally surprised when I read it this Yeah, time. no, we'll have it's a kind good of refresh. fun, yeah. So it's cool where um, when Kvothe gets to the fishery and he's talking to Kilvin and he was looking for a schema for the gram... Again, Kilvin always kind of being the moral touchstone of the university was like, yeah. oh, you know, I thought you would have better faith in your fellow arcanists. And he's like, I do, but um, we've been learning more in adept sympathy and I've been finding out that it can help prevent against like slippage or, you know, binders, chills and whatnot. Uh, yeah. And Kilvin's like, oh, Dahl's been like scaring you into it. Obviously not understanding that Kvothe is experiencing malfeasance. And he just kind of thinks it's, like, something Kvothe's interested in in terms of not experiencing slippage. Yeah. But it is kind of cool. But, and we are going to touch upon this a little bit later in this section of chapters, but Kvothe talks about, like, the reason that those runes are so restricted is because using Sigildry, you can create devices that essentially are as powerful as malfeasance, but anyone can use them. Yeah. So he talks about, like, you could create this, like, metal coin, essentially, with the hole in it. With the right sigildry, if you put someone's blood through that little hole in the coin, they'll just burn them alive. And you can use it over and over and over again, and anyone can use it. Yeah, it's like weapons of mass destruction in a way. Yeah, so it's obviously very wise that Kilvin has restricted all of access to this. Yeah, so he he was saying how he can't spare anyone to commission the project for him. And Kvothe was like, oh no, I want to make one myself and he was like oh dude no that's like for like elf ranked students and you don't have access to those runes yet yeah i forgot that kilvin had thought kvothe was asking for someone else like to, to commission one. the project instead of making it himself <laughs> kvothe doesn't have that kind of money <laughs> and so classic kvothe like kind of like brushes off like no matter it's fine um while we're at it though with that project i'm working on i need access to rare metals and a private room yeah and so kilvin gets stoked because he's like Ooh, workrooms, what do you need? I like, love that he calculates, like, how much space Kvothe will need and, like, if he's going to need to be on the first floor or the third floor, depending on what kind of stuff Kvothe's doing. And, and of course, Kvothe's very guarded about his project. Because, to be fair. as we know, he's going to be making the... Um, arrow catch. The arrow catch, but also the gram at the same time. Yeah. So he needs this kind of seclusion so no one catches on to what he's doing. Yeah, and I do love the fact that Kilvin asks, he's like, well... What are you going to be doing? Is there a chance of something exploding or burning? Like, what are you working on? And he's all like... And those almost seem like silly questions, but they're so practical coming from Kelvin. Yeah. 
So Kavoth gets assigned his own private workroom, which like check in the box in the right direction for his yes. project plans. And he gets allowance to use check out precious metals, which is gonna cost him in the end, but yes. he comes out ahead in the long run with his arrow catch, which we're not supposed to know what it is yet, but mm-hmm. I mean this podcast is full spoilers, so Spoilies. No spoilies. No spoilies. Just um, kidding, play spoilies. All the spoilies. I mean, this is all for the fans. Yeah, I mean, we're picking apart the book, and personally, in my opinion, the only way you can pick apart these books is if you know what has already happened. Mm. You missed so much on the first read. Oh my god, yeah. Well, it's like when um, I had my twin brother this past year read uh, the books for the first time. Yeah, Elliot's been on. That's right. Well, when we like showed him all like fan theory videos and like stuff on reddit and stuff he's like did i even read these books how did i miss all this yeah i know we gave the books to my brother-in-law so i think he's gonna he's been reading he's just at the part in the first book where kavoth gets in trouble with master heme by like giving him hot foot so i'm hoping he's liking them but i also hope that people get to the end and then there's like so much more to enjoy yes i digress Obviously, the people who have made it this far in the podcast are book fans. So, yes. After his interaction with Kilvin at the fishery, uh, Kavoth actually makes his way over to the Barley and Bale. Or Bale and Barley, sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. Definitely a sketchy bar. Yeah, it's definitely a little seedy kind of mm-hmm. sketch. Kid sketchy. Back to you. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's meeting up with um, this guy, Sleet. And this guy seems like the classic, like... I know how to get certain goods and services. I know the word on the street. I'm your guy. Like, uh, yeah, he's the guy who knows a guy for everything. Yeah. He's the hookup. He's yeah. definitely the hookup. He seems very, like, stereotypical kind of, like, street corner. Smart, resourceful dude. Yeah, very street smart. Turns out pretty, like, book smart, too, because yeah. he did well in the university, but constantly in and out and, like, getting kicked on in and, and out. for, like, ten years. Yeah. So and he's got skills. He does. And so I really enjoy this interaction with Kavoth and this guy's sleep because it's uh the whole like, it's like a battle tough guy, of wits. bravado like poker face like you know that I know that he knows that you know and so but you tell me what you might think I want to hear yes and so they get indulged in each other's uh like rumors and vanity. gossip about yeah. each other it's very but Kavoth also like is a little bold a couple times like asks about or like he was like people say you're the kind of guy who would hire someone to get thugs in an alley and like references that whole thing he had where he called down lightning so yeah he basically knows that or insinuates that he knows that sleet was the connect for ambrose who hired the thugs that jumped him right but also like sleet's very impressed with both he's like oh finally someone who's here to like match my wits all the students at the university are either like rich and don't need my services or are so happy to be at the university that they don't want to put a toe out of lines like to hear all about you and all these rumors that surround you and swirl around you you're a very interesting character at the very least so they kind of see themselves in each other i think as they're kind of exchanging information on each other's reputation kavoth then kind of goes down to business and he is looking to get the schema for graham and Sleek gives him, like, an outrageous price for it. And yeah, that's nothing he could ever afford. Yeah, so he's like, all right, forget that. And then he also is looking for a crossbow. And during their conversation, he was asking him 
um, if he owes anybody any money. Yeah, this is where the conversation goes kind of sour. Yes. So Sleet clearly likes to be in control. And if Kavoth's going to owe him money, because Kavoth asks if he could trade favors instead of cash, which normally I think would be an okay situation, but Sleet's like, well, if you're going to owe me, you can't owe anyone else. Yeah, and like when it's due, it's due. And it comes out that he owes Devi, and Sleet... He doesn't even want to do business. Gets like, turns white, clammy hands kind of situation, where he is just so put off by this situation that Kavoth's in, and... Kvothe must just have this relationship with Devi where she hasn't shown her bad side to him yet, and we see it in the next chapter. And even still, Kvothe's not nearly as scared of her as everyone else, but Sleet, like, is the guy who can't really be, like, you know, he's like, kind of nonplussed. He's not bothered by a lot. And he's mm-hmm. like, Devi, I'm not touching. Like, I can't. Nope. Like, I won't help you. I can't deal in favors. Like, you have cash or nothing. Like, I can't do anything else. Yeah, and then he was even like... I'm not allowing you to, like, poach me for Debbie. Like, that's even worse. Like, Yeah, he is not messing around. And it's funny because we have this whole buildup now where for the longest time, Kavolt's interaction with Debbie is she's, like, there's, like, this uh, seductress, like, allure to her. She's smart. She's, you know, very in control. But she- she's also kind. She lends him books. She talks to him about the university. He plays her songs. So he sees a very different side of her than he was expecting based on her rumors. Right. And now all these rumors and mystique are coming to the forefront. It's like, yeah, and what she's... is she really about? Like, what has actually given her the reputation that she has? Oh, she has fully earned this reputation. Like, right. she's a badass, as we're going to see in the next chapter. And I don't want to get, like, too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But, yeah, even Sleet is like, no. I won't do it. And so Kavoth is like, and uh, Sleet actually makes a very interesting comment. He says, I have business to do with rational people who know the true shape of the world and you're wasting my time. Oh, like shapers and knowers? Yeah. It was just like, yeah, a nice little nod to, again, like the world building and the people that have formed it. Yeah, I think that's actually very, very interesting. And so eventually they come to a conclusion that Kavoth acquires a crossbow from him for he basically has some like gold wire and stuff yeah they make some kind of trade for like goods and um, but it's so interesting because kavoth's like oh i figured you could get it to me within the next like what like he said like two days and he's like 15 minutes yeah he said two out like a couple hours and he was like you don't even know me at all which i love that's so mysterious yeah i love it very cool dope thing to say at the end of a conversation where you just like laid bare all someone's like rumors and secrets and like you kind of acknowledge but also didn't you're like yeah we're above the common folk who just like talk about us we're in our own league but then to just like at the end of the conversation just drop like you don't even know me (laughs) yes and that's the thing like that whole conversation's really interesting and it's worth dissecting but i think for at least this episode there's so much content i'm gonna keep moving forward but their actual conversation I really enjoy in this chapter. It's really cool. Oh, it's awesome, yeah. And it, it could first... have been that thing where you, like, break down berries and you're like, okay, we can just be ourselves with each other, but I think at the very last minute, like, sleep, like puts those walls up again. Yeah. And blocks both out. Well, I think that's the thing, too, where they, like, kind of had set it up in a way for it when... Kavoth was first trying to get a loan from, like, um, a copper hawk or a galet. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, he was expecting to have, like, this tough guy bravado conversation with a man of, like, yeah. you pay me, I hurt you. And it was Devi. And so it was a completely different interaction. And then finally, in this book, we have that whole 
moment where Kavoth is like in a way putting on his stage face and like having his like mystique and tough guy bravado out and mm-hmm. he's kind of fake until he makes it with this conversation with this guy and it yeah it satisfies that itch kind of thing i think it's very fun like i said it's very much a battle of wits what did you think this crossbow was for the first time you read the book when i first read it i genuinely thought it was going to be something to hurt ambrose i did too i thought he was just gonna try to shoot him yeah i literally thought at this point with like the malfeasance and everything going on i thought like maybe he was just gonna like not assassinate him. I knew it wasn't going to go, like, that heavy. But right. I, like, weirdly thought he was going to, like, have someone, like, in the dark shoot, like, Ambrose in the knee and, like, that be it. That's kind of what I thought, too. Like, I thought he was just going to going off the deep end. Of, like, and just, was just like, going to, like, ambush Ambrose and just try to take him out with this crossbow. Like, I didn't think he was, like, going to personally pull the trigger and, like, shoot him. But I thought it was... I didn't know what he was going to do. In my mind, I thought it was going to be, like, a somehow set it up for Ambrose to, like, walk down an alley, like, step on a tripwire and, like, a crossbow shoot him in the leg, like... Oh, I thought Kvothe was just gonna, like, hide out on a rooftop and, like, shoot him in the dark and then run. Maybe. Like, assassin style. (laughs) Yeah, just straight up, like, Assassin's Creed mode. Yeah. But, yeah, I think... It just leaves a lot of foreboding. Mm. You're like, what the hell is this for? Because he's so focused on the gram, the gram, I've got to get, like, the schema, didn't work with Kilvin... All right, I'll go to this guy. I can't get it from this guy. Last resort, give me a crossbow. Yeah, it just seemed there was like so much desperation behind it. Yeah, that's what I thought was going on. So the whole next section after this, we actually have Kavoth at the archives with Fela. Yeah. And it opens with them at the four plate door. Yes. Which is interesting. And this is a passage that has come up in so many fan theories. So I just really, really, really wanted to highlight it. Which is where Fela, she's like touching the four plate door and she says, I had a dream about the door once. Valeritas was the name of an old dead king. His tomb was behind the door. And we know that barrow is another word for a tomb. Mm. And the university is considered to be like... Bellany Barrow. Right. So there's a lot of connections there with like maybe this is the barrow king that Kavoth mentions. That he steals sleeping princesses back from. Which could be uh, Ari. Which, yeah, so there's a lot. This this passage is used as support for so, so many fan theories. Like, Valeritas might be the name of the king. And I think Patrick Rothfuss recently put out something about the first king of the world, the of Temerin or yeah. something like that. And he put out, like, a commemorative coin you can buy. And it has a whole bunch to do with it. We watched a video on it. It's very interesting, like, how much lore goes into this yeah, Barrow there's this King. really cool YouTube page, uh, Strictly Fantasy. No, Captured in Words. Oh, Captured in Words, that's what it was. Captured in Words does really cool um, yeah. King Killer Chronicle fan theories. He breaks down this whole recent kind of promo thing that Patrick Rothfuss did about the, the Barrow King. Yeah. So that's like kind of a big clue a lot of people use to assume that maybe behind the four-plate door is the tomb of Eax or Jax, or maybe the tomb of somebody else very important mm. so kind of interesting it's brushed totally under the rug because kavoth is like oh i just have dreams that i'm standing in front of it and i can't get in and it sucks that even when i'm awake i can't get in but in my sleep i still can't get in yeah which is very much like harry potter in the order of the phoenix where he's standing at that door in all his dreams for like months and months and can't get in so it's just kind of reminded me of that it's a good parallel i like that and they're like similar ages so it kind of makes sense but kavoth wants to talk to Fela privately. And he 
explains the whole story about the malfeasance and shows her his like cuts and his burns and bruises and she really believes him <laughs> she asks who might be doing it and he's like in the back of his mind like not devi but we'll just figure that out later yeah he's like i don't know <laughs> so he is asking Fela for help finding the gram and so at first he's like discouraged because she's like oh all like the main areas that are cataloged are going to be combed through by, like, Kilvin's scrivs and people. Yeah, Quoth didn't realize that, like, the masters pulled books for their own private libraries. So yeah. Fela's like, oh, Kilvin will have pulled all of those for his own his own little stacks. Slash so the information doesn't go to the wrong people. Right. And she even says, like, it takes years to learn your way around here. It's like a city. And that's how Kvothe thinks of it. And I just feel like Fela and Kvothe are have much more in common than... Both and Denna do. Mm. So I don't know. I just think they are a better match. <laughs> the secret ship we all wanted. Yeah, just like she's good and pure, but again, in these chapters, she starts falling in love with Sim. So that's that. Yeah, Kvothe's very discouraged, but he's like, well, you know, I don't even need like the whole schema. Maybe if we can just find like a little bit or the yeah, runes. Yeah, he even says like, I'll just wing it. And I'll it's like, wing Dude, it. No. Think you're going to hurt yourself. Bad idea. And even is like, is that a that's not that's not a good idea, right? And he's like, "Well, I can't afford to just have them watch not me do something, as I sleep right? For, like, like Will and Sim are watching me. Like, this isn't working." They start to look through the books, and they agree that they're just gonna like keep looking through him through through the books, not him. <laughs> Did you find it? <laughs> I hope you find what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the end of their like looking around, Phyllis has skipped a class. And Kvothe realizes this. So she definitely still, like, has, like, something going on for him. I think it started when he saved her from the fishery. And she's like, she's like, oh, it's okay. No worries. And he's like, oh, you're a wonderful person. So I think she's really reading into more than is happening, unfortunately. So at the end of it, Kvothe says, well, we'll just bring in Will and Sim. Like, they they can help us. Will's a scriv. And Sim is pretty good. And This is probably one of my favorite quotes Yes, so Fela goes, everyone here is smart, like, meaning everyone here at the university, and Sim is nice, but, and Kavoth says, that's the problem. He's nice, he's gentle, which people see as weak, and he's happy, which people see as stupid. And it's so unfortunate, because that's exactly what's happening to Sim. He's a very nice person. Yes. And, like Kavoth says, he's a very, like, kind of happy-go-lucky person. And people write him off so much. But he is very smart. And he proves himself uh, multiple times over. And he's a very loyal friend. And those are qualities that often get overlooked. And they are always put as, like, the best friend character in books. But a character like that would make a great main character. Yes. But, like, if you think about, like, Samwise Gamgee. Like, super loyal. Very pretty smart. Not the main character. Ron Weasley. Yeah, very loyal, good friend. Not the main character. Like, it's always, like, just the, lo- the loyal friend. And it's, like, more than that because it's... They almost have better character and morality traits than the, than the antagonist. Exactly. But in a way, because it's people that I know in my own, like, actual life. Like, mm-hmm. 
the people who are the most ambitious and don't stop at whatever it takes to get what they want kind of have that chip on their shoulder or sort of some sort of like slight complex or this or that right that fuels their drive and it's very much said for characters in like fantasy literature mm-hmm. and like that's what makes them compelling you either love or hate them or it makes well, it's them like the hero's classic quest is like something bad has to happen for you to rise up right and so it makes them more three-dimensional and I get it makes a more compelling story. But I think characters who are just genuinely good people deserve more recognition sometimes. They're just good and average. And this is... Hufflepuffs for life! That's what I was about to say. Is like, this is the argument that like Hufflepuffs are the best house is because they're like the most kind and caring, compassionate. And like, why wouldn't you want to marry like someone who's a Hufflepuff? Like, they're, they're so loyal. They're so good. They live behind the tickly pear door. Yes, they do. <laughs> but also, like in terms, and this is a very Harry Potter-like discussion, but someone who doesn't have any kind of prejudices against which students they want to take is also a very good trait of like, I'll just teach anyone who wants to learn. Yeah. That's it. Good good and done. So yeah, it's it's the same prejudice where everyone thinks that that's the worst house, but like Sims very much identifies with those traits and Faye is like, eh, he's fine, but... When he's you really get to know him, boy. he's a really great person. Yeah. Thankfully, Quill stands up for him in that moment because, as Holy he always is. says, he has friends he doesn't even deserve. So, like, thankfully, he does actually, like, stick his neck out for him today. <sighs> and Kavo says the university is just like everywhere else. The rude, pompous bastards like Ambrose get all the attention while people like normal, good souls like Simmon just get brushed aside. And interestingly enough, so Fela says, which one are you, pompous bastard or good soul? And Kavoth doesn't answer. Mm. But it's very much like the gentleman or thief, which was the chapter title a few chapters ago. And I think it's also very interesting. Um, It's not clear if Kavoth is a hero or a villain. He won't answer for himself which side he falls on, if he's good or bad. And since this is being told from his adult perspective, I think it's interesting this ambiguity because you and I have that fan theory that he might be a Shandrian. Mm. So he might see himself as not good. And his unwillingness to answer the question leaves him very open-ended in these situations. Yeah, no, it's true. I feel like he's such an enigma, but it's also because he's a very complicated person. Chapter 26, Trust. Ooh, we're in for it now. I know. (laughs) Everything goes wrong in this chapter. Um, one interesting thing that I noticed, though, is that this chapter opens with a very similar sentence to the previous one. So chapter 25 opens with, Despite what Will and Sim believed, I couldn't believe Devi was responsible for the malfeasance against me. And then this chapter starts with, While I was fairly sure Devi wasn't behind the malfeasance, I'd have been a fool to ignore the fact that she had my blood. So this is clearly like it's both all-consuming thought lately of like it can't be her, it can't be her, but like the looming potential reality that it is Devi. To be fair, ugh, well, we'll get there, but he- oh, everything just goes so wrongly in this chapter. I know <laughs> best bad. laid plans. So he is making his way over to Imray. Imray, yep, he's crossing over the bridge, and he's just kind of noticing that like the wind's getting. Um, picking up and it's getting colder like the seasons are changing and he really doesn't even have enough money for like gloves or anything so his debt with Devi is definitely still like looming and he doesn't have any extra cash right now either 
then he as he's walking he thinks like well maybe somebody stole my blood from debbie like maybe it wasn't her fault yeah he's, and that's he's kind of going what through I was all options was the potential situation here is that someone had somehow stolen it from her um so he arrives at debbie's and you know she's very the same way she's always been very flirty with him she doesn't seem like she has changed her opinion of him since their last conversation even though that was the conversation where she Wanted really pressured archives, in, yeah. him into giving her information about the archives so you know she has her regular kind of flirty opening classic banter <laughs> well both isn't like picking up the bait he's just like oh, business and so immediately she's like oh you are really not looking good like usually you're a little wittier you're a little like more chipper this is not usually how, how you are however there is a good line in there where he was like i can't hope to match wits with you today yes i love that Quite line literally though can't he match doesn't wits with her. he can't she crushes him into the dust <sighs> so cool we're not there yet we're not there yet so she he's returning her book and that's kind of the pretense he has for going over there yeah so he's bringing a book back by uh good old malcalf so kvost says it was like a so-so book but they're um chatting about the book and that's kind of where he says they don't they can't match wits today so debbie's kind of like wow you're really eh. yeah you're like at half power what's good yeah not at all and he says he's got a lot on his mind which like literally he does because he always has at least one third of his mind holding up his alar so he really is just quite worn down and Kavol kind of just jumps into it and starts asking her about sigildry and alchemy and kind of pushing her to see if she knows any more advanced um, stuff that could help him with the gram. Yeah. But he also asks about the alchemy because he starts thinking that maybe the plum bob was Debbie's responsibility as well. Like, maybe that was her fault. Which, he's not off. He's not. We find out later, obviously, but... And he does see this. He's like, oh, she has a slightly guilty look on her face. And, like, so then I think that starts to change his opinion of the blood situation. Mm. Because he's like, oh, fuck. Like, she did do me wrong. Like, that plum bob is serious business. And, like, maybe she didn't realize, but... Yeah, but she never openly admits that she had any hand in that. No, but this is kind of, like, Kavos' thought process. Of yeah. Like, all right, well, if she would do that, then, like, maybe I was wrong about her. Maybe the blood situation is a lot worse than I thought. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Kavoth just decides to get right to the point and immediately is like, I need to see my blood. To be fair... This situation is kind of weird because... It's not the most outlandish request. No, it's not. And Devi, I think, could be a little bit more communicative about why he can't see it. Yeah. Although, she is like a young, small woman kind of on her own she lives in a what seems like a seedy part of town and i'm sure in the past she's gotten men who have just barged in and like thought they could force her to do right like force their way out no i understand that but i think this is probably like a learned behavior yeah like she taps in and she pulls that heat eater out so fast like later down the line yeah that i think this is kavos but at the same time like it is a business relationship yeah and he's being weird and they could have probably just talked it out but everyone gets really hot everyone jumped to conclusions also and i never realized it till when we were rereading the other night Mm -hmm. so when he when she refuses to provide him with his blood yeah and is like absolutely not and then he's like you don't understand and she reaches he does the um the binding. binding right 
the hair that he gets from her is when he like stumbled into her. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, so when he came in cuz he has this kind of bedraggled look, he does this little like trip over the foyer. Foyer? I don't know. <laughs> the foyer. Nobody it sounded so pretentious as soon as it left my mouth. The foyer. Um and he like leans his hand on her shoulder and you're right, that's definitely when he picks up the hair. But so. I think that was also to disarm her in a little way where he was like, I don't think I can match wits with you, which he can't. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Ah, Calm down. So much. I know. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yes, he confronts her about the blood and she says he can't ke- see it because she doesn't keep it there. And I think this is one of the reasons why, because like if she has a secret secure location where she keeps her money and her belongings and her blood, nobody can know where that is. Yeah. So for Kvothe to be like, I insist, you have to get it, that's like revealing her like one safe space. Yeah. And that's her ticket to her power. Not, I mean, her, she's also very powerful, but if people were able to just go and get their blood, then she would have no hold over them anymore. Yeah, no, you make a good point. So I think if Devi had been a little bit more communicative, this would have been fine because Kvothe was very... um Honest, he said someone was conducting malfeasance against him. Yeah. Although that does sound kind of outlandish. Unfortunately, yeah, Devi says she can't do it. Um, you'll see your blood once you settle your debt, like not any sooner. Like that's just the rules. You can't change it. It can't be anything else. That's when he brings out the moment. Yeah. To use against Devi. So he has her hair. I feel like this was just a stupid plan on Kvo's part. I mean, it's Kvothe. He's always full of rash decisions. Yeah. Coming pre-prepared with the moment, like, you know he thought about this in advance and had to premeditate upon what he was doing. Mm. So that's where I get a little bit frustrated that it's like, if you maybe thought about this or talked it out with someone else, you would realize it was a bad idea. Well, I think she forced his hand. That was the hard part. They could have came to a better understanding, but just each person pushed each other a little too hard too fast. Yeah. I think bringing the moment out was like... Oh, that, there's no going that back point, at that. Exactly. So I think if he hadn't pre-prepared one, it would have looked a lot less suspicious. Like, he seems very forceful coming in. Like, that's yeah. coming in with a loaded weapon, essentially. Yeah, I agree. It's a bad idea. So he binds her because she's reaching for a drawer. Um, does Kavoth make it clear what he thinks is in the drawer? Does he think his blood is in he there? He thinks it's either his blood... Or, yeah, I think it's literally just, he thinks it's his blood. So why would he bind her from... Because she could immediately start causing more malfeasance against him. Oh, good point, good point. So he's like, he doesn't do anything to hurt her, just literally to bind her. That's fair. And that's where she goes ape shit, and, like, it's terrifying. She's like, you dare! Like... I mean, that's scary if someone, like, comes into your home and, like, uses force against you to, like... Like, that would essentially be, like, someone coming into your house and tying you up. Oh, yeah. That's scary. <laughs> no. I can't really blame her. No, she goes full ape shit. It's awesome. Yeah. I think I think she is pretty justified once Kvothe binds her. Oh, yeah. Like, no. at that point, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. He did what he was going to do, and it was a stupid idea. But it's so fascinating because Devi actually is more powerful than Quoth's Alar and like he binds her at first, but then all of a sudden she's able to move. Yeah, her she's hand still like moving her hand. More towards the door. And she's like, Look, I made Raylar before they threw me out. Like, I earned it. You can't you underestimated me. 
Yeah. You dare to presume what Exodol could not. Ah, uh, yes. Like, what the hell went down? What makes you think you can do what even Exodol could not? Why do you think they expelled me? They feared a woman who could match a master by her second year. She's fucking powerful. Yeah. And this is also the situation where she describes her Alar as like the ocean in storm, which is like chaotic and so powerful, like this kind of raw natural energy where Kavoth always says his is like um a bar rams and steel where like his is like unyielding and unbending like hers is just like a like a flowing torrent of chaos and power which is really cool it's so cool because it's complete opposite i feel like it's like a glacier versus like a tsunami like they're both enormously powerful things like in terms of geology and like shaping the world but they just happen at such different rates and with different way like yeah so cool. i mean it's like the classic trope of like um an unstoppable force beats an immovable object kind of thing Ooh, yeah 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 that's actually actually exactly what it is i'm just really interested exactly why devi got kicked out like what did she do i know she's insinuating that like she was too powerful and the masters were scared of like she was probably oh, seeking knowledge and that, well she wasn't ready for well it also seems like she is insinuating that there was like some sexism against her too. That could probably be part of it too. I mean, just thinking about how who's it, Heme? Yeah. Yeah, he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so after that like announcement about Elksa doll, she like clenches her teeth and then like pulls her hand uh up and out of the drawer, and there is this object that comes out. And it's not a bottle of Kvoth's blood like he was expecting, but it's this kind of like metal sphere or cube um that he mentions that he's seen a couple of times before yeah it's like a pocket warmer poor boy and like basically when you turn it ignites uh, a fuel source inside it and like gives you like a furnace or small forge worth of heat like instantly yeah it's burning super hot i love this concept i think it's so cool i think they're awesome i think he says they're not very common because they break a lot and like they're not very adorable but for debbie to have one is like her backup source, because Kavos said he pulled a little bit of ash from the fire at an inn on his way over, so his heat source is negligible. Yeah, and, like, she literally just got, like, an entire furnace instantly. Yep. That thing is so cool. And, like, she's a badass. She can literally break her mind into eight parts. Like, <sighs> the most most Kavoth does in this moment is his new limit, which is six, which is very impressive. Yeah, he said five before, but this time he taps all the way up to six, which is new. And I wonder if one of them is still holding his Alar up against Malfeasance. I'm not sure. I feel like at that point I would just go all in. But um, one thing that's interesting is I was reading and someone said that the number eight comes up nearly as often as the number seven in these books. Interesting. Um, Potentially. And like right there with Devi's like eight, eight part binding um, has something to do with like connecting the fact that there are seven Shandrian, but then there might be an eighth one, i.e. Kvoth. Yeah. Um, but I made a big post about it, or I sent a, a link on our Facebook page about it, because it was the whole Reddit list about the chapter titles, but then in it, someone went into all these details about, like, seven versus eight in the books. Yeah. Um, so just, yeah, eight is awesome. That's cool. I'm going to have to keep my eyes peeled about, like, the references of eight now. Yeah, because I'd been so focused on seven for yeah, so long. Yeah, and, and the Chandra and everything else. Right. Well, I guess with the Canis, that makes eight. Oh, Yeah. Or Kvothe could be eight. Oh, yeah. And then on the vase, the one that I remember from the list was the vase from the Madeline farm had seven Shandrian and one extra person on it. Yeah. So, But there were a whole bunch more instances of eight. 
Cool. But, Ugh, but yeah. back to the battle at hand. Yeah. Like, this think- battle is so awesome, but I think, unfortunately, it would not translate well to the screen. Like, yeah, cinematically, so- I feel like it would just be, like, shaking and, like, fluttering and, like, lights flashing. Where, like, obviously in the book, there's a lot of action sequences in this story that are really well written. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that, theoretically, this is just, like, a stationary interaction. But so much is happening happening mentally that it just, it seems so magnificent and awesome. It's really cool. Like, I just picture two, the two of them sitting there silently, like, glaring at each other. And then the, the poor boy, like, burning out really hot on the table. And that's really all that would Well, I mean, they happen. are talking and, like, grunting and, like, you know, the things that are happening with this conversation. But... I know, but, like, the eight-part binding just seems so intense. Oh, yeah, like... To imagine it is just cool, and all the mental sound effects that go with it. <laughs> yeah, like just the inner monologues. Yeah. During this uh, heated exchange, as it were, um, Kavoth knows when he's beaten, and mm-hmm. um, ugh, this part is just so intense, where all the parts of his mind come reeling back as one, and Devi just tells him, like, let go of it. And so he lets go as a Motmet, and she takes her hair out of it. She is, like, savage. She rips across and literally pulls a fistful of his hair out. Like, not one, but, like, yanks. Oh, yeah. She, like, straight up, like, wrecks him with this. It's so good. And so there's a really cool part here where she raises the momet up and, like, smashes it down on the table. And the energy transfer is if Kavoth feels as if he just fell off a roof. Yeah. He said his, um, he was, like, so surprised by her control. Yeah. Because the momet, I think, breaks yeah it shatters so like theoretically his body could have like experienced that yeah but devi is so in control she's also i think fully binding his body at this point like he can't move he can't hardly speak and then she like does that wow yeah badass wow and so it's just like this part just hurts like on so many levels she's just like i actually trusted you like yeah we had a business arrangement i think this is when she reveals someone came and offered to buy Kvothe's blood. And For she, 55 talents. That's so much money. And she turned them away because she was like, you and I had a deal. Yeah. And <laughs> they don't have a deal anymore, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So. And so she is like straight up done with him. She's like, I'm calling your um, tuition bill due at the end of... or Yeah, your, your debt is due. You have until the end of the term, like not, not a minute late. Send someone else. And if, if I, I see ever you. see you, it will be bad for you. She's like, even if I see you like across the street, like you're in trouble. Yeah. And I just love like you will say, I understand Devi and leave. Like, oh, but stupid Kavoth. I understand Devi, but uh, and so. <laughs> get out. Yeah. I just love the final like get out. Yes. Unfortunately, Kavoth is in a worse place than he was, and usually Devi is his last resort, and she's been very fair to him up yes. until now. She's even fair now, giving him the end of the term. She could have been like... She could have said, like, tomorrow. Yeah. Or She now. could have just said, I'm going to sell your blood. Like, she could have She could have been worse. I yeah. think she definitely still has a soft spot for him, but no longer trusts him at all. Yeah. And... That sucks for Kvothe, obviously, um, because he now has to pay her back. He has no other options for Galitz in the future. And he still doesn't know who's doing malfeasance against him, although he has ruled out Devi. Yeah. At, at 
the sort of largest price for it. Yeah, and just by taking her word. But if her vial of blood is safe, Kvothe still doesn't know who got his blood and yeah. how and where. So it leaves a lot to discover and figure out. And that's like the hardest part about this. It's like, even though one door technically now is closed, like it didn't accomplish anything good. No. Like he's in a whole He could have easily now. accomplished this. Like just ruling her out by not having this argument at all. I know, but it's classic of both. Like I he's know. impulsive and brash and it bites him in the ass. I think he's also been like his mental state is slowly getting worn down because he's not sleeping that much. His ALR's up all the time. He's worried about malfeasance. Yeah. Though there's one thing that's really cool about this whole like section of suffering, is that like they call it? It's like a parallel to the time in Tarbian. Yes. Well, that very much so that I never kind of put one and two together, which I appreciate. That's cool. Yeah, because then after his time in Tarbian, he makes it to the university. After his time here suffering at the university, he leaves and goes to Vintus. Mm, that is a good parallel. But what I was going to bring up was um, it's kind of like weight training at this point. He, until he makes the gram, is so guarded, keeping his ALR up, ALR up the whole mm-hmm. time. That, like, it exponentially makes him stronger. It does. And there's a part where things get corrected with Debbie down the line. I know. I'm and trying not to, like, discuss that No, yet. I know. But the one thing I did want to mention was she's a care for a rematch, like, as a joke. <sighs> and he's like, I'm not, I'm not as I was, like, weeks ago. And it's true. Like, even though he's in the middle of suffering and staying, like, on guard, it's cool that down the line it makes him even more powerful. Like, it was, it's, I didn't realize that's something that could be done. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't really think about that either. Yeah. But, like, dolls, like, training up their minds in classes, I guess I just kind of thought, like, you're either naturally really, really good or not. Yeah, but to, like, improve by keeping your guard up is interesting. Yeah, well, I guess you have to be, in like, in the heart of stone Yeah. for some of it, and that's, like, a whole mental state. So it's probably, like, similar to things like meditating. Like, you're, it doesn't look like you're doing much, but until you actually practice meditation it's actually pretty hard and like you only get better at it by doing it yeah so just cool concepts that is really magic system with this book yeah i do like that a lot i hadn't thought of it i wish that they did do like just a fun rematch (laughs) (laughs) a friendly rematch (laughs) well like like when they were when will sim and kvothe were in the bar with them and just like pulling coins out of the air like you could do something like that yeah well i feel like with that it'd be like lifting boulders yeah Something, like, epic. As long as they don't do what that kid did and, like, rip his arm out. Oh, my God, right? Yeah, that's pretty bad. But I think, unfortunately, our plan to do chapters 25 through 29 got a bit ahead of us. Um, So we have talked about these two chapters for far too long. So I think we're going to cut the episode here and resume at chapter 27 for the next episode, which will be in our new studio. Woo! Um, And until then... Happy reading! Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, check out our website, fantasticbookspod.com. Or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Fantastic Books Pod. Don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Thanks. Thanks.